What is going on, Sandals Church? It's about that time again. My name is Jeff and I am your online campus pastor. And I wanna to introduce to you this rad, super rad brother right here. This is our online youth lead, Taylor. Taylor, say hello. Hey, what's up guys? Come on, that's right, good job, good job. Taylor, what does it look like to be a youth leader online? Right, I get to create a place mm -hmm. for those that are lonely mm -hmm. and looking for answers to find God and community. And believe it or not, it all happens digitally. Wow, that is awesome. Hey Taylor, why don't you let everyone know who might be watching online today what they can do? For sure, if this is your first time and you're checking out Sandals Church, you can take that next step by going to sandalschurch.com next. And if you're a chatter, you can let us know in the comments or chat section on whatever device you're using that this is your first time. Man, that is awesome. And a big shout out to our Sandals Church Anywhere family all over the world who've had said yes and moving from an online watcher to hosting Sandals Church right in their very own home. Which by the way, if you don't know who we are and what we're all about, it is. We're about being real with ourselves, God and others. Look at that, come Just on, like you came prepared. That's right, good job, good job. Well right now we really want to work so let's extend those vocal cords and let's jump into worshiping the Lord. Let's go. Yeah. 
Hey everyone, if you just got here, my name is Jeff and I'm the online campus pastor and this is Taylor, our online campus youth lead. So Taylor, tell us what the most enjoyable thing is about your role here at Sandals Church. Yeah, getting to connect students from all over into mm. a digital community. Man, that is awesome. And Taylor, can you let our audience know what is coming up this weekend? Yeah, rather than <laughs> me letting them know, right. let's let the man myth legend himself mm. tell you. Check this come out. On, come on, pass the map. And sometimes those temptations, those addictions, those secrets, they kind of just draw you in. And I want to tell you there's a better way. And so I want to challenge you with this thought. Stay hungry for God. What's so cool about you being here tonight and every night for the rest of this week is you're saying, hey, I want to learn, God, what you have for me. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. I want my heart to be shaped to be like your heart.
Hey, Sandals Church Youth, look, I love you so much, and I look forward so much to being with you at Youth Conference May 7th at Hunter Park. No matter what campus you go to, it's at Hunter Park. And so we wanna make sure that we have an opportunity to get together, be together. Hopefully I'll be able to meet you and get to know you. And I wanna talk to you about God's love for your life and how to live out that love. So don't miss Youth Conference May 7th from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. right here at Sandals Church, Hunter Park. You don't wanna miss, I promise you, it's gonna be incredible. We are super excited to bring this youth conference to all of you who are teens or to your teenager online. Last year, this conference had over a thousand teenagers in attendance. And this year for the online conference, we wanna break the internet <laughs> and we wanna get this to as many young people as possible. No matter where they are in the world, this is gonna be specially made for you with worship, amazing messages, and a lot of fun right to your device. So invite a friend, tell your teenager, it all goes down May 7th on YouTube. Let's bust up the internet, but for Jesus, but for Jesus. Hey, we are going to continue with our service and we have another power-packed win in Rome message from our Palm Avenue pastor, Pastor Fredo Ramos. Let's go. Let's go. What's good, everyone? It is so great to be with you guys. However you are joining us, whether you are at a Sandals Church or you're watching from home or at a Sandals Church anywhere, we are grateful to be together in this way. And today we are continuing in our series, When in Rome. And today we approach probably the greatest chapter, I think, in the entire Bible. Many people regard Romans chapter eight as the greatest chapter in scripture. There are some, some words, there are some beautiful words in this chapter that you may not find anywhere else. The chapter opens by saying, no condemnation. And it ends with the words, no separation. I can't think of a more timely moment for us in our world, in our culture, to hear the words, no condemnation and no separation. Do you know those words? Whether you are following Jesus or not, or kind of somewhere in between trying to figure it out, you know you need to hear those words. Because in our souls, you see, to, to be told no condemnation means that at the end of the day, you will be accepted. To hear the words no separation answers the question of our souls, will I be alone? And there is so much security to be found here in Romans chapter 8 for all of us, regardless of where you're at. And, and I know I need this, man. For me, I, I'm on this journey right now of just realizing that everything just feels so fragile. You don't need Twitter to know that, right? But people can be so easily broken, frustrated, lost, dead. We are fragile people. And so the words of Romans 8, that there is now no condemnation and ending with no separation is something that's going to give us life. I want you to think about this for a second. The greatest chapter in the Bible about the Christian life has zero commands for the Christian life. Think about that. There are 39 verses in Romans chapter eight and not a single command. How is that possible? 
I think what God wants to tell us here in Romans chapter 8 is that the life that we are called to live is something that we cannot do in our own strength. And, and that's true whether you follow Jesus or you don't. You have to wrestle with, you cannot always do what you want to do in your own power. You need something else. And man, I, I don't know if that's just cool for me because I don't like to be told what to do. So a chapter in the Bible with no commands, that feels right. But I'm a pastor, so fancy that. I get to tell other people what to do. Just stay out of my business. But we need this book, and we need this chapter. And so let's read together from Romans chapter 8, and then I'll pray. Paul says these words, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Would you, God, now speak to us from it? Open up our hearts. Open up our minds. God, open up our bodies so that we might receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, we might see you all the more clear. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. These words open, no condemnation. Now, for some of you thinking, especially if you are a non-Christian or new to church, to hear the words in the Bible, no condemnation, seems kind of counterproductive to what you're typically used to hearing from Christians. How can they hold a Bible that says no condemnation and yet be known for their what? <laughs> Ability to contemn. How is this possible? It's very typical that the experience is very normalized now for a lot of people to experience from religious folks a kind of condemnation. We wheeled around like a, like a lightsaber. I went there because I'm a Star Wars fan. <laughs> But it's not uncommon for you to experience condemnation from the church. It's a typical thing we use to control people, to con try to convert people, but condemnation is something that will never bring about the transformation we need. In fact, the only way that brings about transformation is the good news that there is no condemnation. That's what we need. And so my first thought for us, Sandals Church, and for those of you listening who are curious about church, is that we can be better. We can be better as a church. If we really believe the words of Romans 8.1, we can be better. We can be better. But secondly, we need to push this nuance a little further because there is a, a time and a place for us as Christians and really all people to rightly condemn evil. There is a moment for us to, to see things that are hateful, that are violent, that are wrong, that are against what God desires and to say we should speak against this. We should condemn this. And so there is some nuance here. But what Paul is getting at here when he says there is now no condemnation is this kind of legal idea. Condemnation is a legal term in which you are now pronounced as the guilty party. 
You must pay for your sins. You must be held accountable for what you have done. Now, whether you are religious or not, you know what it's like to feel this. You know what it's like at some level to feel guilty and to carry that weight of, of not being enough, not doing enough, ever wondering if it's going to happen, right? The past is something that haunts you. You're shaken by it. Even last night, you're already feeling guilty about what took place. Even the future brings up all kinds of guilt because you know and you are afraid that you won't make the right decisions. We as a people are very good at knowing how to feel guilty. Condemnation for a lot of us is just the air we breathe to survive. We live in it. But we're told from this passage that there is now no condemnation. You see, what Paul is beginning to unpack for us is this idea that the Spirit does something, the Holy Spirit does something in our life. And the first thing it does is this. The Spirit assures us that God will never change his mind about us. God will never change his mind. That's what it means that there is now no condemnation. Notice those words, now, no. Now meaning real time, right now, present moment. No meaning forever, for all time. No condemnation ever. God's mind is made up about all of us already. It's made up for those who are in Christ. And he will never change his mind about us. And the first thing the Spirit does is to assure us of that in our hearts, that there is no condemnation. He will not treat you as the guilty party. He will not punish you for your sins. Notice what Psalm 103 says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Listen to that phrase. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Man, that is good news. God does not treat you and I based on our sin. He does not relate to you based on your failures. What a declaration. No condemnation. You cannot change God's mind. It's already made up. And so when judgment day comes, and it will come for all of us, you already know the verdict. Not guilty. You already know the verdict. Now, you and I know how hard it is to try to change someone's mind, right? If 2020 taught us anything, it's that. <laughs> Based on what people believe, what they say, what they post, no matter what you try to say to them and convince them of, some people's minds will never be changed. Because when our minds are made up, they're made up. For me, my mind is made up on a handful of things. You ready? In-N-Out Burger is the burger supreme for all of life. Dogs are the superior animal and pet to cats. Ooh, man, we feel the spirit in here right now, y'all. Clowns will always be scary to me. My mind is made up on that. And the Los Angeles Lakers. The spirit is really in here today, man. Yo, I am a celebrating and suffering Lakers fan. My mind is made up on that. It's never going to change. And if that is the case for us, how much more true do you think that is for God? His mind is already made up about you. No condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, if that's true, why is that so hard for us to apply, though? Because condemning ourselves is one of the things that we are so good at. Like, why are we so hard on ourselves when God doesn't even treat us like that? 
So on Sunday, we can sing no condemnation, but then Monday comes and you get feedback at work or you get feedback at home, unsolicited feedback in the kitchen, right? <laughs> You're hearing things. Why is it so hard not to apply? Notice what Paul says there. He uses this location word. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's difficult for us to apply this because we forget who we are. And Paul is saying that you have been rescued out of one place and placed into somewhere else. In other words, you have a new address in Jesus. You have a new address. You reside completely in a new spot. You live and, and you grow and you eat and you sleep and you rest and you fail and you succeed in a brand new place of residence. And that is in Christ. The, the Bible, especially the New Testament, has this language written all over it. You are in Christ. And you don't find it in any other religion. In other words, we don't say like you are in Buddha if you follow Buddhism. We don't say that you are in Muhammad if you are a Muslim. Right, but for Christianity, we say you are in Christ. In other words, your reality, your fundamental life has completely changed because of where you are located. It's completely different now. You get mail at a brand new address. And theologians have a term for this. It's called a union, union with Christ. It's, it's a way for them to describe this, this mystery, this profound idea that your whole life is now joined to Jesus' life. And his whole life, all that he's done is now applied to your life. You are covered in him. And so you are always, as one famous pastor put it, living two places at once. You are where you're at during your day, every single moment, and you are also in Christ. And the Spirit assures us because of that fact that God will never, ever change his mind about you. It's settled. It's settled. No condemnation. Some of you need to just breathe that in right now. But even move a little bit further, though, because secondly, as Romans 8 continues, we learn that the Spirit liberates us from the power of sin. He assures us, but he also liberates us. Listen here. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, I love that phrase. You can think of it as the, the life-giving Spirit. Because through Jesus, the life-giving Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in other words, what it couldn't do, because it was weakened by the flesh. It's an interesting phrase, weakened by the flesh. In other words, what Paul is saying is, a law is really good at clarifying what you and I should do, but it will never make us actually do it. We need something else. And so Paul makes this declaration, God did. What the law couldn't do, what you couldn't do, God does. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, God in his love gives to us his son who becomes like us to be a sin offering, to die for us. And in so doing, notice how he finishes there in verse 3, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, in these few passages, this word flesh is used three different times. Often in the New Testament, flesh can mean like body, like your physical body. Other times, though, flesh can mean uh, your desires. The flesh is our desires inside the body, and there's a lot of them down there. And the New Testament says your desires, my desires, they, they well up 
with one goal in mind, and that is to elevate the self above everything else. When the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about the, the desires for yourself, for your pleasure and your protection and your well-being only. That is the flesh. And that is where we find ourselves. And so when we read here that the Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death, there is a power that comes over us. Because sin is not just an act that we do, but a power that we are actually under. It's the power of the flesh. It's the power of the self where, man, you just at the end of the day will always do what you most want to do. And that is look after you. And so what Paul is saying here is that God did what we can't, and that is to free us from ourselves. But you see, that's hard for us to consider, especially in today's culture, where, where the self is something to be discovered, the self is something to be explored and praised and lived out in a powerful way. And we hear this with other gospels, right? Be true to yourself. You do you. Now, I want to be honest, especially as a Christian, there is a lot of truth to individualism. Remember, God is an individual, but he's also a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's uniquely a person, but three persons as well. And so the story of individualism only gets half it right. Because we should be caring about individual lives. Because we are made in a unique, particular kind of way. But it only tells half the story. You know, you think of uh, where that phrase even came from, you know, be true to yourself. It's actually from a Shakespeare, uh, Shakespearean play, Hamlet. Have you guys seen Hamlet? Where's my theater and drama kids at? <laughs> Got one, okay. Some of you guys know you were in drama and theater. It's okay, you can admit it now, you're an adult. Like, you were legit back then. We just were too insecure to just love you and appreciate you and all of your freeness. But in Shakespeare's Hamlet, um, the fool, the character of the fool is actually the one who makes this phrase when he says, to thine own self be true. To thine own self be true. And so this narrative today that you got to be who you are is true, but listen, it's only half the story because if we're being honest with ourselves, when we look within ourselves, there's a lot of us down there. In other words, there's a lot of desires down there. Which one do I pull out? Because they're all kind of me. Case in point, I'm at Target last night for no other reason other than just being at Target, right? And this is a nice, simple illustration that's going to make anyone too uncomfortable. But I'm at Target in the checkout aisle, and to my left... I see a men's health magazine with two Avengers on it who look just beyond buff and who are aging way too well for this person in their mid-30s feeling a little concerned. And then to my right, I see Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm both of these things. Because men's health says more abs and less stress in 15 minutes. And I'm like, man, I would really appreciate that. But I also appreciate the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I'm both of these things. Both of those desires are absolutely me. Now, I only look like one of them, but I'm both of those desires. So which one do I live out? Because they're both authentically me. And so to those of you who are wondering, well, I just got to be authentically myself. That is half the story. You need a power that can liberate you from the power of self so that you can truly discover what it means when Jesus says, deny yourself, follow me, and then you will live. 
That's what we need. We need that kind of power. Because both of those are me. There's so many desires down there. Now that's silly, right? But there's other things though that are much truer. Let me just push it a little further. Some of us have desires to be a faithful spouse and to get a divorce and see what else is out there. I have a desire to honor women, to dignify them, to, to push for equality, and at the same time to objectify them by what I watch, what I look at, what passes me down the street. You see, I have a desire to follow Jesus, and at the same time, I have a desire to be Fredo and just say, screw it all. Like, let me just be comfortable and, and just finish my days without being irritated. I have a desire, I have a deep, real desire, even now, to have a rich prayer life. And at the same time, I have a desire just to stay on the couch a little longer, finish that episode of Last Chance University, <laughs> and just go to bed late and wake up late, just in time to roll out of bed for my first meeting. Both of those desires are in all of us, which is why sin is not just bad behavior. It is a power that is over us. And so to figure out who you want to be will not set you free. You need something else. You need the liberating power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Because oftentimes the strongest desire is not the truest one. In a temptation, whether to lie, cheat, steal, masturbate, whatever it is, the temptation feels strong. But there's a deeper one, though. There's a deeper one. There's a deeper power in us. And it's only when we come out of the temptation relying on God that we realize, man, there's something else there. Thank you, God. There's something else there. You're working in me. You're pulling things out of me. And this is what Paul is getting at. The law will not ever help us to do that. Like good education, man, we need it. Good policies, we need it. We, we need all of the healthy, right structures in place. But at the end of the day, there is only one power that can deal with the power of sin, and that is the power of the risen Jesus Christ. And that is what Romans 8 says you and I need. Because from the beginning, we have been enslaved to sin. Our flesh, the desire to be self. And we see this in simple ways, y'all. Like just the other night, I'm reading a, a book to Eli and Ella before they go to bed. It's called, What Would Danny Do? And it's a book designed to help kids read a story, and as the story goes on, to make good decisions, right? And so every few pages, there's a question in which the readers are supposed to ask. And so the book opens, what would Danny do? And it says, Danny wakes up to the smell of pancakes. He's excited. He puts on his cape. He runs down the stairs. And when he gets to the kitchen table, he realizes that his younger brother is eating from his favorite plate. And so the story pauses, and you ask the reader, what should Danny do? A, should he yell and scream? and demand his favorite plate, or should he be, allow his brother to eat from there and him just enjoy his own breakfast too. And so I looked to my kids before bed. What should Danny do? My son, my perfect son, thank you, Eli, <laughs> says Danny should just eat his breakfast and not take the other plate. I was like, that's great, son. <laughs> Turn to my daughter, Ella. What should Danny do, Ella? Yell and scream and take the plate. <laughs> I said, well, you just heard the right answer, girl. Like, how are you doing this? She's three. So I kind of look at Ashley like, oh, okay. So I read the statements again, just in case she didn't hear. 
<laughs> and once again, she says, Danny should yell and scream and take the food from the plate. It is in us. This is a power that is in us and has always been in us. We need to be liberated from it. And this liberation, though, this freedom is not just a freedom for your own good. This freedom is a freedom from something so that you can be something else. In other words, Christian freedom is, is less like a mirror in which you just see yourself, and it's more like a window in which you look through. In other words, your freedom is about the good of something else and someone else. That's what Christian freedom is. Which is why, thirdly now, the Spirit empowers us to do what God expects us to do. My goodness, think about that for a second. What God expects us to do, he actually empowers us to do. He helps us to do it. Notice what he says there in verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be what? Fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amazing. The law can be fulfilled and met in us. The same guy who just said that in Romans 8 wrote earlier a few chapters and said, you can't ever fulfill the law. So how is it possible that we can fulfill the law? Well, Romans 13, verse 8 says this, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. What an amazing phrase. Owe no one anything except love. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Your freedom is for the purpose that you might love others. The life of Jesus is for you so that you might begin to live like and for him in the way that you love people. This is what the Spirit does in our life. 21 times in Romans chapter 8, Spirit is mentioned. 21 times. Five only in the few chapters before and eight in the remaining book, which means in this one portion of the letter that Paul is writing, he talks about the Spirit 21 times. That tells us that everything that God expects us to do, he's right there with us through his Spirit, helping us to do it. He empowers us to do it. And we do it by fulfilling the law with love. So you love, you fulfill the law every time you're ready to curse someone, and you just pray for them. You love and you fulfill the law every time you serve someone or you forgive someone. You love and fulfill the law every time when you're ready just to, to kind of rest, but you decide to expend a little bit more energy and resources for the good of someone else. We love and fulfill the law as, as parents and as friends, as we are present with people when everything in us wants to just be distracted with the screen or with social media. We love and fulfill the law as we slow down long enough and leave our echo chambers long enough just to listen to the stories and experiences of pain that other people have experienced and learn from them. This is how we fulfill the law and the Holy Spirit, oh, what good news, helps you to do this, empowers you to do this. You cannot do it on your own. And guess what? That is the point. You read the Romans 8, no commands. Well, what am I supposed to do? That's the point. You are called to do something that you cannot do in your own strength, and you're empowered by him to do it. And so think right now in your life, what, 
What in your life are you having a hard time doing in your own strength? Think about a person right now, a relationship, a, a task, a hurdle that you have been dealing with maybe for years, and maybe the problem is you have been trying to deal with it in your own strength, in your own strength. What would it look like for as often as you pull out your phone would be the same amount of times you just said, God, empower me. God, empower me. Holy Spirit, touch me, please. Empower me to do what I need to do. Where in your life do you need the empowering presence of God? Because his high expectations, and oh man, they're great, to fulfill the law is always met with his empowering spirit to be present, to help us to do it. Now let's think practically now. Because you'll notice there at the end of verse 4, from Romans chapter 8, Paul says, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who do not live, I want you to take note of that, live according to the flesh, in other words, live according to the self, but according to the spirit. So what does it mean to live according to the spirit? Well, your translations and other translations have a great word they use to describe living in the spirit, and they use this word walk, to walk in the spirit. What does it look like to walk in the spirit? Man, I can't think of maybe a, a better metaphor than this idea of walking, walking in the Spirit. And here's why, because first of all, walking signifies that we're on a path. And that path that we're on is that we follow the Spirit's power, not our own willpower. Notice what Paul says here in Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live or those who walk in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so walking signifies that you're on a path. And this path is you saying, God, I need you to help me. I need your spirit's power, not my own willpower. Because here's the thing, willpower is fantastic. Determination, us like really trying hard, will get us so far. But there's sometimes where it's just not there. You got zero willpower, zero. And so if you're wondering, what does this practically look like to have the Spirit, and to be walking in the Spirit, it is first an acknowledgement of surrender. God, I need your Spirit, not my own willpower. I need your power working in me. Because you begin to realize there that there is nothing that you can do as a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus says it like this in John 15, in one of his greatest teachings to his disciples, John chapter 15, he says, abide in me. And he presses that, that metaphor further about the vine, and he says, you cannot do anything apart from me. Paul translates that here in Romans 8 and says, you need the Spirit. That's what it means to abide in Jesus, to have his Spirit presently on you, empowering you to do what you cannot do in your own strength. And so surrender. Take moments, man, because I, I need the Spirit too. I, I need the Holy Spirit to forgive. I need the Holy Spirit to be kind. I need the Holy Spirit to be generous to confess sin, to speak the truth, to share the gospel. I mean, I can't think this long list of Christian to-dos, there's not a single one on them in which I don't need the Holy Spirit to be with me. And so in your day, man, open up your hands, your body, sit down, do whatever you gotta do, and say, Spirit, would your power guide me today? The path I am on is the path to follow you in your power, not my own strength, not my own willpower. You know, one of the ways that we model this here at the church 
is when we worship, people raise their hands. We raise our hands. We raise our hands as a way to symbolize that we need God. We need God. Sometimes it's used in great ways. Other times, you know, you just, you like it because the melody hit, right? And you're like, man, that's nice. Or the guitar riff or the lyric, whatever it is, right? But there is a moment in which you can just physically change your posture as a way to say, I need the Spirit's power right now. That's what it looks like to walk, to realize that you are on a path following Him. Secondly, though, walking also signifies progress. One foot in front of the other, moving from point A to point B. But here's the thing we need to consider about progress. We see such little growth because we think so little about the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. We see such little growth because we think so little of the Holy Spirit. Hear Paul, same chapter, verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Look at that wordplay. Give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Every single day, this might be one of the most profound truths of Christianity, that God himself is living in your body. Your body. Where you go, God goes. He is in you. And Paul says it's the same spirit who brought Jesus from the dead back to life. And so there's a promise here that one day your mortal body will be just as alive as Jesus' body is right now. And so when you think about walking in the spirit, give yourself a little grace and realize there's progress. You're not where you want to be, but tomorrow you'll be a little bit further. There's progress. It doesn't always feel amazing. Oftentimes it feels kind of mundane and ordinary. But the Spirit's in you. The same Spirit who raised Jesus is in you. I was just thinking this last week, man, just a few days ago, I'm having devotional time in the morning. It's rich. I'm reading my Psalm of the day. And I have a time of prayer. Of course, my kids get up and I'm like, all right, well, thank you, Lord. It's over now. <laughs> time to make them breakfast. They need breakfast right away. My son is just eating everything right now. I don't know where he got that from. <laughs> and of course, I go to open the fridge, and there's very little in there. And so I go to the pantry. Thank God we have bread and peanut butter jelly. So uh, that's what is for breakfast at 7.30 in the morning. And so they're in the couch in the living room watching cartoons, and I start making this. And, and I go to pull the peanut butter jar out. And as I grab the jar, the lid stays in my hand and the whole jar falls, just doo -doo -doo everywhere. And my immediate response is, Eli, Eli. Because I know he's eating everything. He loves peanut butter. And he, he panics. And I'm like, son, you didn't put the jar on, dude. And, and I, just, I, just, I could feel his reaction. I couldn't even see him, but I can feel his reaction to my tone, to my irritation. And, and no lie, man, I, I go, I get a paper towel, I, I wet it, I go to wipe off the peanut butter that's flung onto the cabinet, and in my mind I hear this condemning thought, what the hell is wrong with you? I just had a time of prayer, and I say that not to be crass, I'm, I'm just being honest. I have a time of prayer, I'm reading a psalm, I'm on my day to, I'm on my way to a great day, and I lose it over peanut butter on a cabinet. We're talking Psalm 25, and I got peanut butter over here. 
And in my head, this, this condemnation just falls over me. Will I always be an irritable dad? Will I always be angry? Like, will my life just constantly be defined by me bothered by the people who are in my way of just trying to be comfortable in life? And it hurt. I make the sandwiches. I take them over to the kids, and I just, I get down on my knees. I said, Eli, I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry. And he says, it's okay. That I said, no, it's, it's not okay. It's not okay. I shouldn't do that to you. I shouldn't say that to you. I, I need you to forgive me. And he says, I forgive you, Daddy. And I realized in that moment of just, of just feeling what all of us think, feel like we cannot escape, is in confession, there is still progress. In, in confessing and in realizing this doesn't feel spiritual at all, is to know that the Spirit is there. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is helping Alfredo get on his knee and confess his sin to a son over a peanut butter jelly sandwich. This is the Christian life. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. That's what it means to not just be on a path, but to be making progress. And lastly, oh God, walking signifies that we are on our way to a place. There's a destination. And our destination is the love of God. Listen to the end of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Like, look, look what Paul's listing. Can any of this separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. That's 2020. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's every day. Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, notice the direction there, the order. It's death first, then life. Not even a great death, not even a great life can separate you. He takes it one step further. Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future. Oh man, are we worried about the future. Nor any powers, neither height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No separation. No separation. You see, what, what he's asking here is, is there anything that's going to stop God from loving me? And Paul's answer is this glorious list of no. <laughs> Nothing under heaven can keep you from the God of heaven. And so when you ask the question, well, are you sure? Are you sure there's nothing that I can do that, that would stop God from loving me? I would ask you this question. When did he start loving you? He cannot stop loving any of us because he never started loving any of us. He always, he has always loved us. Paul writes later in the New Testament to another pastor, Timothy, that he has been giving us grace before the world ever began. I don't know how to explain that verse to anybody. He has always loved us. Always loved us. His love is an eternal love. It's a powerful love. It's a, it's a faithful love, a rescuing love. God's love is undefeated. For all my sports junkies, God's love takes no L's. He doesn't know how to lose. 
And, and what Paul is saying here at the end of Romans 8 is anything that you try to push in front as a barrier to God, he will love out of the way and still pursue you. The way that I started to think about this when I was uh, in college, 21 years old, coming to Christ for the first time, was that Jesus was haunting me. In other words, I could not escape his love. That is why things changed, because I came to this moment in this experience of, man, I can't get away from this God. And he loves to love me. And he loves to spend a lot of his love on every single one of us. That's how great it is. He's not pitching pennies when it comes to loving any one of us. He's not. He's loving us. Because if, if you could have sinned your way out of God's love, you would have done it on day one. Angels in heaven, what happened to Fredo? Well, did you see his first day as a Christian? <laughs> My goodness. It's not possible. We are kept in the love of God. To walk in the Spirit is to, in ordinary ways, through Bible reading, through prayer, through community, through church worship, through serving, to experience, through the power of the Spirit, God's love for you. You're on a path, you're making progress, and this is your place of destination. Walking in and towards the love of God for you. And we can say and celebrate right now, no condemnation, no separation because of the gospel. Yes. Jesus was condemned. Jesus was separated on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so our invitation, Sandals Church, right now in this moment is to embrace the gospel. Not just the gospel that saves, but the gospel that liberates you from the power of self and sin so that you might do what you could not do on your own, and that is to live in and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to see his life become your life. Some of you right now, I, I would imagine, have never prayed to have God just open your heart and give you his spirit. You can do that now. For some of you, it, it's a time to confess and repent that you have tried to do all of this in your own strength. And Romans 8, with all of its glorious 39 verses and zero commands, says you can't do it. You need the power of the Spirit. And so let's pray now and ask that God would come in and change all of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you love us. God, you love us. Would you change us by the power of your Spirit? Break us free from the power of sin, from the power of self and all of our desires, and would you make us new people in Christ. Make Sandals Church community a different community who can live out this vision of a real relationship with you, Jesus, as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in his name, amen. Man, what an amazing and powerful message. You know, Taylor, I, I love how Pastor, how Pastor Fredo talked about allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you right. <laughs> rather than allowing you to lead you. Yes. And I kind of just have to say, like, most of the time, me is leading me. And, and I fail at that every single day. But remember, there's no condemnation. Yeah. And 
And I guess that's something that I, we all need to remember. There's no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. And, and praise God, praise God. And, and what an incredible thing it is to follow a God who wants to help guide us and give us his spirit as we try to live better lives. And no matter where you are watching from today, and more importantly, wherever you are internally today, we all have a chance to take a next step on the path that God has for us, for you. And we have his spirit to help us know where to go. And to help you do that, we have the growth path to help you find your next best step. The growth path is your personalized guide to, to what next steps you can take in your relationship with God. Now is the time to check out the growth path in the Sandals Church app and see how to take the next step that God is calling you to. You, you know, Taylor, when I, I think about how we are all on this path of faith, every single one of us, I think of the youth conference that Taylor mentioned earlier, which again is so amazing that for the first time, we will be offering this awesome conference to youth all over the world online, this Friday on YouTube at 7 p.m. But I'm super excited because our friend Jazz is gonna be there. Taylor, right. tell him about Jazz. Yeah, so this is Jazz. And she told us that she found sandals one day when she was having a really bad day. And she felt like everything was going wrong. She felt distant from God. And working in youth ministry, I can tell you that this happens a lot from time to time. She believed that God was leaving her, but then she found one of Pastor Matt's messages on YouTube. And after binge watching messages from Pastor Matt, she told us, they made me realize that I was never alone Mm. and that God had never left me in the first place. Then she discovered Sandals Youth on YouTube, and those helpful messages have helped her grow in her faith. Man, man, that is awesome. You know, as someone who used to work in youth ministry a few, just a few years ago, just a few, just a few, I can tell you that all teenagers today need hope. And they need to know that God has more for them. Sandals Youth does this for teens here and teens all over the world. And if you give financially to Sandals Church, then you were a part of Jazz's story of finding faith and so many young people just like Jazz. And I wanna say thank you. If you would like to help us reach more teenagers all over the United States and around the world, then you can do that by going to give.sc or give through the Sandals Church app. Let's set up the next generation to know that God is with them. Man, Taylor, my brother from another mother with a different color. (laughs) Man, thanks so much for being here. And is there anything you wanna tell our online family as we go? Yeah, read your Bible, say your prayers, show up to youth conference. Right, I feel like that was a tagline from an old wrestler. No, there's all me. (laughs) No, I, I don't believe it. Hey guys, thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next week. Later. All right.